Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. sermon series. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, what's going to happen yet, um, but as, as I prepare for these things, uh, as we've, you know, we've gone through the whole Beatitude sermon series, uh, just a peek into like how I plan my sermons. I, I plan my sermons, like I, I prep them out and I have a general direction where I'm going, uh, but I only get like little peeks into where God's going with some of the stuff. And so I have an idea where God is going, um, but I'm excited to see where we end up landing at the end of all of this. Um, and I, I think this is going to be a very important series for our church. Um, we're going to, to get into this thing. Uh, I'm very excited, but I'm also a little bit scared, <laughs> if I'm being really honest with everybody. Um, you know, when, when you get to a point with God where you're really let, letting go of the wheel, there's that realization like, holy cow, God could do whatever he wants. Um, and so that's a little scary to let go of that control and to really give everything to him and say, you know, God, whatever you plan at the end of this thing, I'm game. Like, let's go. And so that's a scary place to put yourself. Uh, and really what it does is it makes you realize how selfish you are about things, right? As, as you start to pry those fingers, you know, you got the white knuckles on the steering wheel of your life and you start to pry each of those fingers off you start to realize, yeah, yeah, God, I'm being extremely selfish about these things. I don't want to do this because it interferes with Jeremy time or it interferes with Jeremy's hopes and dreams or whatever. And more and more every day, we're not perfectly made into his image yet, right? But praise God, God promises us in his word that one day we will see Jesus and on that day we will be made exactly as he is will look exactly like Jesus. We're not there yet, but we're getting there, right? And when we see God face to face, but our goal here on this earth is to look like him as much as we can, which means we've got to see more and more of Jesus every day. We've got to draw closer and closer to him every day. And as we see more of him, as we experience more of him, we'll look more like him. And so the direction of the gospel house, this should be obvious. We just got done with the sermon series on the Beatitudes, right? What do we talk about the entire Beatitudes? What is our aim? God, right? So what's the direction of the gospel house? It better be God, right? If our aim is God, then our direction better be God himself. So as we enter this new sermon series, we're going to talk about how do we make God our aim? How do we make God the direction of this church. And that starts with today becoming God's church. I think everybody here knows this. I'm a big fan of Pastor Tim Keller. Do you all know that? Has, has that become obvious yet? Right? I really love Tim Keller. Uh, and, and really, I owe an enormous debt of gratitude to him because I would not be where I am in my walk with the Lord if it weren't for Tim Keller's sermons and Tim Keller's books. I've read so much of his stuff. I've listened to so many of his sermons. And Keller has this book series. It's called the Center Church Series. It's three books. And, and I've read those books. And those books are all about how to make your church a gospel-centered church. They were great books. I loved them. But can I tell you something? I do not want us to be Pastor Tim Keller's church. Right? I love Pastor Tim Keller, but I don't want the gospel house to be Pastor Tim Keller's church. I don't think it's wrong for him to write books like that. I don't think it's wrong to read books like that. But when we're talking about who the gospel house is going to be, I don't want to do a book study through what our church should look like. I don't want to copy everything that Tim Keller did while he was on this earth and then expect that I'm going to look the same way that he does or that our church is going to look the same way that he does. 
Unfortunately, that seems to be the primary strategy of a lot of churches today. We look at pastors or we look at ministers or, or churches that we like. And if we're being really honest, we look at the numbers of those churches that we like, right? How many people do they have in their seats? And then we just copy everything that that church does. And then we're absolutely mind-boggled when it doesn't work. But guys, I can't, personally, I can't think of anything more insulting to God than for me to look at another Christian and just copy exactly what that Christian does. For me, that's insulting to my creator. I feel that way when I preach sermons. Look, guys, there is a, there's a website out there. I'm going to tell on a lot of pastors. They're going to be mad at me. I'm going to get hate letter in the mail. I, don't know, I won't really. But, but there's, there's a website out there called sermoncentral.net. And you can literally type in the subject of any sermon you want, and it will give you an entire sermon to preach. I have seen very prominent pastors in, in large churches preach verbatim, guys, word for word, sermons from other pastors. Word for word. That's the most insulting thing to the Holy Spirit in my book. Number one, it's plagiarism. It, it's illegal. You're not allowed to do that. But number two, what are we doing? And, and you know, it's, it's bad when you say, like, oh, word for word, they stole this from Pastor Keller or whoever it is, you know. Like, that's bad. But, guys, we do the same thing. When we look at other churches, oh, they have this really great meal ministry, and so if we just do that here, Why? Because you don't trust that God wants to speak to you? Because you don't trust that God wants to do something new in you, in our church? We shouldn't look like every other church. Because God has put different individuals here in our church than he has in any other church across northwest Ohio, right? I read this a long time ago. You guys are going to get a little sneak peek into the insanity of Jeremy. But, but a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today is going to be about, since it's the direction of the Gospel House, a lot of the things that God spoke to Jana and I before we even thought we were going to plan a church. Things that he spoke to us about how he wanted our ministry to be different and what he wanted us to do and all of those things. But this is one of those things. Years ago, I was reading this book by a man named, a pastor named Francis Chan. It's called Letters to the Church. And he gets done, he's, he lays out like why Francis Chan had been burned by, by you know, mega church and, and you know, got away from it and went to these small churches and these home churches and everything. But at the very end of it, he wrote something. And I took a picture of it with my phone and I underlined it and I have it saved on my phone. To this day, I, I still look at this, but this is what he said. This is how Chan ends this book. He says, I'm sure you have a ton of unanswered questions at this point. This might be a good thing. You are welcome to dig around our website to get more info, but that might be the worst thing you could do. It is usually easier to copy others than to seek God. And that rocked me, y'all. That rocked me, and it struck a nerve with me. I don't want to be the kind of Christian, I don't want to be part of a church that just copies other ministry that just copies other things that other people are doing and puts them in Northwest Ohio and expects it to bear fruit for God's kingdom. When we could take the time to listen to God's voice, to say, God, what are you speaking to us? What are you telling this to do? The question is, do we trust that God wants to speak to us, church? You know, you all have heard the sermon. Lots of times it comes in youth groups. But every fingerprint is different, right? No two people have the same fingerprint. Every person's DNA is different, right? Nobody has the same DNA. Similarities maybe, but not the same. God made every single one of us unique. So why do we think that God makes cookie-cutter Christians? When God calls you to follow him, he calls all of us to use the unique giftings that he's given to us. Gospel House, we don't look like any other church out there. We don't. 
So why would we try to do church like all of these other churches? We are just as unique as a church body as we are as individuals. And so are we going to let God use that uniqueness? When God spoke to Jana and me about planting this church, we knew that he called us to do something different. And so we're going to go through this step by step. But the reality is, y'all, I am just one part of this church. You hear me? I am one part of this church. Jana is one part of this church. Elam and Jubilee and Promise and Gideon, they are all one part of this church. And actually, one of the things I'm most excited about as we go through this series, we're going we're gonna to bring up a lot of questions about direction. We're going to bring it up with our kids, too. And I am super excited to see what our kids have to say. Right? For real. But y'all, look, God spoke this to me, and I don't, this might come across as a little harsh, and maybe it's a slap to the face to some of you. I apologize. It's a Holy Spirit slap, so it's not me. But y'all, a while ago, I was, I, was, I was frustrated because, you know, there was lack of involvement, we were, lack of things going on and all this stuff, and Elam and Juby were playing on the worship team every week, and God spoke very clearly and said, Jeremy, if it is only children that you can get to volunteer, then it is the children that I will move through. Whoo! Come on, somebody. That's powerful stuff for our kids. That's powerful condemnation for everybody else, right? It's kind of like when Jesus says, like, look, if these people don't worship me, the rocks are going to cry out, right? Are you going to step up and worship God so that the rocks don't cry out? Are we going to step up and lead this church? Are we going to step up and show our kids what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to be the church? Or are we going to let God work through the kids? We got a decision to make, right? Because if we sit by the sidelines, if we play it safe, if we want to do comfortable church the way that we've always done it, then doggone, God's going to move through the kids. God will find people who will do his will. Do you want to be one of those? You are invited to become God's church. Do you want to accept that invitation? It's pretty cool, isn't it? You are invited to become God's church. That's the sermon. There we go. We're done. I'm just kidding. As we go through this sermon series, some of these sermons aren't going to look like sermons, y'all. We're going to go through some of this stuff. It's going to look a little different this month. And so some of them, I don't know if they'll be, if it's a sermon series or more of a sermon discussion that we're going to have. But we're going to start today with a sermon. So today you get your traditional three points. Isn't that exciting? They look obvious, don't they, when you look at them? See, that's the thing with rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions are obvious, right? But what makes them a powerful tool is that the answer should be obvious, but we don't do it, right? That's why a rhetorical question is powerful, because everybody knows the answer but nobody does it, right? So point one, whose church is this? God's, right? We know the answer, but do we act like it? Do we let this be his church? Second, and this one should be obvious because we just got done with an entire month talking about what it means to be poor in spirit, but you've got to check yourself at the door. If this is God's church, then every single person who wants to be a part of his church must check their self at the door. And then finally, for every individual, who is leading you? We know the answer, right? But do we live the answer? So first, whose church is this anyway? Whose church is the gospel house? Y'all can shout it. Yes, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, right? All of them. But do we live like it? Do we act like this is God's church? Now, there's been a lot of theology that has come about from this passage in Matthew 16. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
And they say, well, there's some different opinions out there. Some say you're a prophet, some say you're a teacher. Jesus says, yeah, but, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says this. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overpower it. Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus declares that Peter is the rock on whom Jesus will build his church. Although I am a little curious, I would love to do a deeper dive into this to find out if it's Peter that is the rock on whom Jesus is building his church or if it's the declaration that Peter makes that is the rock on whom Jesus is going to build the church. That's for a different sermon, though. We're not going to touch that one today. I was very tempted to touch it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let it go, right? For today, let's focus on the main thing. Jesus does not tell Peter, Peter, this is your church. Do what you want with it. He doesn't, does he? What does he say? The rock on whom I will build my church. Jesus builds his church. Not Peter's church, not Jeremy's church. Doesn't matter what the role of Peter is in this. If this is, you know, Jesus is setting up the, the new priesthood and now we have popes and all this stuff. It doesn't matter. Leave it all, right? It doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. You get a lot of Christians, a lot of men and women running to that promise, right? We are the church. The gates of hell won't overpower us. You don't get to claim the promise if you don't do it God's way. So if you are running around holding on to your church, man's church, you're, you're susceptible to being overcome by the gates of hell. There is no promise for you in that. It is only Jesus' church that the gates of hell will not overpower. And so we've got to be on board with it. We have got to be so careful, y'all. It can be so easy to make this local church, these local churches, all about man's church, all about man's way of doing church, all about the lead pastor and his personality, all about the worship team or, you know, whatever it is. But it's not our church. It's not one person's church or one worship team's church or one, you know, whatever it is, church. What makes this extremely dangerous, y'all have heard me rail on this before, but we live in a current culture that loves leadership. We love this leadership culture, right? And we feed and we feed and we read books about how to be better leaders and there's podcasts and there's all the things to make everyone a better leader because we're told that's the only way you can be successful. An organization cannot be successful if there isn't a powerful leader leading that organization. Is that God's way or is that man's way? Right? Here's the good news. You get a lot of doom and gloomers out there, right? Things have never been as bad as they are now. No one's ever struggled like this before. False. Because as we just got done reading in 1 Corinthians... Paul says, for when one person says, I am with Paul, and another, I am with Apollos, are you not ordinary people? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. I wonder if we could say the same thing in our current church climate. We take pride in some really weird things, church. 
if we take a step back and look, well, I'm Catholic. <laughs> Everybody knows the Catholics have it right. Well, I'm Protestant. Protestants, is the, that's the only way to go. Well, I'm non-denominational. I don't get into those silly fights because non-denominational is the best, right? I'm charismatic. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm traditionalist. We think all that stuff is crazy. I follow this mega pastor. Man, you should hear him preach, and he brings the word, and he's on television six nights a week, and, well, we've got the best worship team, and our music is rocking, and, right? We make it about everything except the person whose church it actually is. Well, look at our mega church. We've got 7,000 people. Well, we're a small church because we know Jesus doesn't do big churches. He just does little churches. Come on, right? We make it about a thousand things. And we may not say it right out, but implied underneath everything is that there is a right way to do church and there is a wrong way to do church. And I've got the right way. Whether it's doctrine or denomination or pastor or size or political affiliation, but the reality is the one who plants and the one who waters are nothing. Y'all, we are going to get to heaven, and we are going to find out. Now, look, there's real doctrine, and then there's real bad doctrine, right? <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that there's not false teaching out there and that there's not poor doctrine. There is, and we need to be on our game and see that stuff for what it is. We need to be rooted in our words so that we can see bad doctrine and say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh that's not right. But y'all, we're going to get to the end and we're going to see Jesus face to face and we're going to realize a lot of these squabbles were over people who watered and people who planted. About doctrine that waters and doctrine that plants. And at the end of it all, God's going to say, the one who waters and the one who plants are nothing. It's God that causes the growth. I remember I got really frustrated about this when I was pretty early on in my ministry because I had a really good friend of mine go to a church and they got plugged into that church and like I knew some of the stuff that went on at that church and it was like, that's wonky. Like they do some weird stuff over there. Like how, how did this person get plugged in over there? But guys, there was spiritual growth in that individual. Right? Some of us are so concerned oh, so-and-so is going to this church, and this church believes this, and uh, but are they growing? Because look, the one who plants and the one who waters, they're nothing. But if God is causing the growth, then what does it matter? Let's let God do his job, right? I, I mean, I kind of feel like that's a behind-the-scenes statement in this that Paul's saying. Let's let God do his job, and let's stop making mountains out of molehills. Let's stop making these things big deals. The reason we struggle with that, though, the reason why this is so difficult for us to do, why we want there to be a right way and a wrong way to do church, is because ultimately we have not checked ourselves at the door. There is still part of us that's holding on. And even now, after going through a sermon series on the Beatitudes and being poor in spirit, I promise you, y'all, there's still too much self in our church, right? There's still too much self in me. Every day, God's showing me things that I need to get rid of. Every day, he's drawing things out that, Jeremy, you're still looking at yourself. You're angry right now because yourself, your pride is wounded, Right? But you guys, you know you can't stub your pride, right? I can walk in the dark and stub my toe on a coffee table and it hurts. You can't stub your pride. Did you know that? The reason your pride is hurt is because there's still too much self. Right? There's still too much self. Poor in spirit. Not my will. God's way and not man's way. These are themes that we have been hitting again and again and again here on Sunday mornings, y'all. And these are themes that it is going to be pivotal for us to hold on to. 
as we continue going in the direction that God has called this church, we have got to stay on top of our selfishness. Because if we don't, it's going to take over. Paul continues to say this, Take care that no one deceives himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise by their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are useless. So then, no one is to be boasting in people. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is such a difficult concept. There's, there's this, this clash of culture here. Because in the United States, we love our freedom, right? And, and rightly so. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we hate our freedom. But, but there's this culture clash in the Bible. Because over and over again in the Bible, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are described as slaves to righteousness. As slaves to Jesus. Over and over again. Guys, you cannot carry your personal freedom into your relationship with Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you can't ask me to do this because I have my freedom. I have my rights, Jesus. They're in the Constitution. You need to go read them. We cannot serve God that way. When you agree to follow Jesus, when you agree to become a disciple of his, you are signing your life off on that dotted line. And saying, God, everything I have is yours now. I waive my rights. I waive my freedom. You belong to God. Which means you don't belong to yourself anymore. Right? Jesus bought you with a price. Which means you're his. Which also means that this church was bought with a price, which means that we are his individually and collectively, which means that this is his church that he purchased. I don't have a share, right? This isn't like the stock market where you can, you know, get on your cash app and buy stock in Amazon. Ah, I got stock in Amazon now. That's not what it is. The church is God's. Paul personalizes this in the very next chapter. It kind of flows right from this. You know, it's interesting in the Bible because uh, the Bible was written, these letters to the churches were written, and in order to make passages easier to find, chapters and verse numbers were added later. And so when you go through the chapters and verse numbers, you have to read it and know that those aren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so there's some passages that you get to, uh, Ephesians 5 is a good one also, but there's passages you get to where, you know, it stops and then it goes into a next chapter, but you still have to read them as if they fit, right? Lots of times we get into this nasty habit where we act like the entire Bible doesn't fit together. That's what causes cherry picking, where we find verses we like and pull them out and use them, and then verses we don't like and throw them away and never read them. This is one of those passages because Paul continues on into Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 4. And if, if I were editing the Bible, I actually think it fits better up in 1 Corinthians 3 because the thoughts just go straight together. But look at what Paul says. He says, this is the way any person is to regard us. Keep in mind, this is Paul, right? Paul, I mean, hands down, y'all, when you go back through the history of mankind, Paul is one of the most influential men in the history of man. I mean, straight up, whether you like what he says or whether you don't like what he says, whether you agree with it or not, Paul had so much influence in, in where we are as a church right now, in just mankind in general. So, but this is Paul speaking here, one of the leaders of the church, right? Western world props Paul up in the pedestal and says, look at our leader, Paul, so wise and intelligent. This is what Paul says if any person is to regard us 
as servants of Christ. That Greek word is actually slave, but they put servant in there because it's more palatable in our culture because we don't like the word slave, rightly so. But servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is an insignificant matter that I would be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. However, I am not vindicated by this. But the one who examines me is the Lord. I threw Tim Keller under the bus and said I didn't want to have a church like his, but now I'm going to prop him back up. Tim Keller has this incredible book. It's, it's a short book. It's only about 50 pages or so, so you can read through it really quick. But it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It is amazing. I would encourage everyone to read it. You can pop on Amazon and type it in. You'll find it. It can be here at your doorstep by tomorrow. I don't know, maybe two days. But anyway, he talks about this verse. This is the verse that he talks about. And it is unbelievable when we actually understand what's going on here. Paul is using extremely legal verbiage here. The words that he's using are talking about a courtroom setting specifically. When he talks about being examined, he's talking about like cross-examining a witness and all of this stuff. But y'all, this is unbelievable what Paul says here. Because what Paul says is, it does not matter what you think about me. I don't care what you think about me. And our culture today says, yes, Paul. Yeah, others can't define you. Look inside and find yourself, and then you'll truly be free. And Paul says, no, that's stupid. I don't even examine myself. And that's where our whole world says, lost me. I'm out, Paul. No idea what you're talking about. We don't even have a concept for this, y'all. Keller says, at this point, he says, this is where Paul moves off of the map. Because there is no way our world can even grapple with this. We have no understanding of how how to even define this kind of worth. Because Paul says, I don't care what you think about me. But I don't even care what I think about myself. The only one who defines my worth is God. Guys, that is incredible. You know, just this week, Elam was rolling his eyes at me because I gave him a little sermon right in the car while we were driving. But we, we were, I was driving him to school, and we drove past a church. And on the church's sign outside, it said this. This is a church, y'all. Self-esteem isn't what you think about yourself. Or, I'm sorry, isn't what others think about you. It's what you think about yourself. That's not the gospel, y'all. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that even if you wake up every morning and think that you're trash, that God said you were worth the price of his only son. If you, if you go through the to-do list on your Christian check sheet and you feel like you can never make it through the list, you are never good enough, you're right. But God still says you're worth it every single day. That's God's pronouncement over you. You are worth it. Y'all, Jesus Christ was glad to give his life so that he could be with you forever. Do you see how that moves us right off the map of this self-worth battle? You don't have to feel like you're good enough. You don't have to call five of your friends and have them tell you something nice about yourself to feel like you're good enough. Because the God of the universe says, you are worth it. Every drop of your Messiah's blood, every nail driven through his hands, every beating, every cursing, every time someone spit on him or hit him, all of it was worth it so that he could be with you and me forever. When God says that, why do I care what culture says? 
Why do I care what anyone else has to say? Move off of the map. See, there is nothing else. The gospel is the only thing, y'all, that gives us the strength and the freedom to actually let go of ourself. When we talk about checking ourselves at the door, when we talk about dying to self, y'all, that's really nice to say, but if we don't have assurance, there's no reason to die to self, is there? Guys, if the gospel isn't real, there's no reason to die to self. You might as well go out and have as much fun as you can right now because your sins aren't paid for. And at the end of all of this, there's either nothingness or eternal damnation. That's it. But if the gospel is real, then Jesus says, I have given my life to assure you that you can let go And what you will find in me is far more than anything you will ever find in yourself. What you will find in me is far more than you will ever find in any group of friends that you could ever hope to prop you up. But you have to be anchored in the gospel. Y'all, when we look at that, when you look at the price that Jesus paid, when you look at the fact that this is what God says about you, that you are worth it, it really makes you wonder, why do I insist on trying to do this my own way? Why am I still clinging so tightly to the things that Jeremy wants? And it gives you that freedom of self-forgetfulness to just let go. And ultimately, y'all, if every single one of us does that, then what happens with our church? Right? We all of a sudden find that we have a church that is running with everything we have after God. We have to get this right, y'all. We have got to check ourselves at the door before we take any of these next steps in determining where the gospel house will go. Because it is really easy to have these discussions, right? You hear about the vision casting meetings, right? We've done it here, right? We've had vision casting meetings. But the trouble that we get into, it's like we talked about last week with that passage from Ezekiel, right? Woe to the prophets of Israel who prophesy words from their inspiration. And lots of times that's what you get. Go to a vision casting meeting and the head comes up. This is what we're going to do. Flashing lights, right? Carnival rides and all the things, right? But if it's a good idea that I had, even worse, if it's a good idea that I copied from a church down the street that we're going to do here now, are we really going to get anywhere? We're not going to honor God. And if we're not doing what God has told us to do, then is God really going to be the one who's causing growth? I don't think so, y'all. And can I be really honest with you? I do not want to be a church of 5,000 people if those 5,000 people are here because we grew man's way. Look, y'all, I know the marketing techniques. You go to any church planting class or church planting seminar, They'll give you all the marketing techniques. They'll even give you templates for all the mailers that you send out before your church launches. They give you the timeline to send it out. You know, you soft launch here, and then you send out the mailers, and then you do a service project to get the community excited, and then you hand out baskets with your business card in them, and then, you know, they've got all the steps. I know them. I've sat in those meetings, y'all but I don't want to grow this church man's way. And I hope that you agree with me. That's one thing I didn't, I didn't really ask anybody's permission. We just kind of didn't do it that way. And <laughs> but I hope you agree with me. I want the gospel house to be God's church. 
which means if that means people are going to call us lazy because we're not sending out mailers or we're not doing community outreach events where we backhanded slide business cards to people to get them to come here, cool. We're going to grow God's way. And that means what he tells us to do, that's what we're going to do. We're going to check ourselves at the door. And very quickly, we're going to find out who it is that is actually leading this thing. And that's a question every single one of us has to answer, right? Who is leading you? Yes, we have to decide that as a church. But like I said, y'all, if every single person in here decides God is going to lead me, it's going to be a whole lot easier. If every single one of us is being led by the Holy Spirit, then there's no question that this church will be led by the Holy Spirit, right? This is what Paul says. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. You are holy. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Grab onto that, y'all. Hold on to it and never let go. That is a reality. We have hit on this again and again and again. But y'all, if the spirit of the living God lives inside of me, why in the world am I relying on something I read in a book once to dictate my direction? Right? Why am I searching out answers from worldly sources when the spirit of God lives inside of me? Right? Why would we turn to anything or anyone else without first consulting the God who lives inside of us? There's a passage from Matthew 23. I read this passage years ago. This is actually, I would probably, this is way before I knew I even wanted to be a pastor, like a, a, a lead pastor. I hate that word lead pastor, but that's, that's the term. A senior pastor, is that better? I don't feel like a senior either, but... Before I found out I wanted to preach and, and do this, uh, I read this passage, and it was in the midst of, you know, I, I used to go to all of the leadership summits, you know, uh, Willow Creek Church did the global leadership summits, and they did all those things. Y'all, I did all of it. I read all the Andy Stanley books. I listened to the uh, Craig Rochelle podcasts. Like, I was gung-ho leader, like, all about it. You know, when a leader gets better, everyone gets better. That was what I thought. And so I wanted to be the best leader I could be. And so I devoured all of that stuff. And then I read this passage. And I would say that this passage, more than any other, really kicked me down a journey I didn't really want to go on. But it's one of those Genesis passages that got me going in the direction that led me here. I don't know if I would be here if this passage hadn't grabbed me the way that it did. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew 23. He's talking about the Pharisees, and he says this to his, to his disciples. Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Notice who seated them in the chair of Moses? Themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, or whatever they tell you, do and comply with it all. But do not do as they do, for they say things and do not do them, and they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as their finger. Now, I've got to pause here real quick. We've got to be careful, because there is a tendency, you know, you can, you can jump off the cliff on both sides of just about any teaching, right? Well, Pastor Jeremy says that there is no leadership, so everybody free for themselves, right? You just do your own thing. Yeah, y'all, I've had these conversations with individuals. Okay, Jesus is my head, and so I don't have to listen to what you're going to say to me, right? Jesus is my head, so I don't have to listen to what the pastor here says. I do my own thing, and that's the way it is. And look, that's fine if that's the way you want to go about it, but can I tell you, you cannot belong to a local church if that's your attitude. And can I be real honest with you? That is not poor in spirit. 
that is the ugliest form of pride that there is because it's this superior religiosity masking itself. But really deep down, it's pride. I've had that conversation with a lot of Christians, y'all, and that's kind of terrifying. You can't tell me what to do. Jesus is my head. What's Jesus say? Guys, the scribes and Pharisees, we know this, right? They weren't good people, right? Jesus is butting heads with them all the time, telling them all the things they do wrong. And what's he say? Listen and obey them because they are in authority over you. You know, COVID hits and all of a sudden, oh, we don't do anything the government says. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? Submit to authority. You can object. You can say, I can't do this. If they come out and say, COVID's getting bad, you can't meet in church anymore, we're going to continue meeting. If that comes with hefty fines from the government, we will pay those fines. We will submit to them cheerfully, but we will continue meeting, right? You can surrender to authority. You can submit to authority and still do what God's told you to do. Daniel in the lion's den, <laughs> right? Stop praying. I can't, but I will accept the punishment that you have for me, right? That's what he did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could just stay in the book of Daniel. They're all there, right? I can't do what you're asking me to do. I will not forsake gathering with the saints, but I will take any punishment. You want to lock me in jail? You want to make me pay a fine? Whatever it is, I will do so cheerfully. I'll even add 10% just to show you how much we love you. Maybe not that, but, right? Submit to authority. So we've got, we've got to, again, check yourself at the door, right? Because this gets very easy when you say, you know, everybody knows this. Have you ever worked a job where like the leader or the, the boss or whatever quits and there's like a temporary boss and all of a sudden you get every single person in the office like, hey, you might want to watch so-and-so. She's a real bum, right? Everybody tries to get their agenda passed through, right? Because there's a void in leadership, not in the church. We cannot do that in the church. Check yourself at the door. Check yourself at the door because it's not about you. And if all of us do it, this is possible. He goes on to say, they all do their deeds to be noticed by other people for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues and personal greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by the people. And here it is, this is the big one. But as for you, as for you, do not be called rabbi, for only one is your teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for, you, for only one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for only one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Y'all, verse 10 hit me like a load of bricks. The Holy Spirit used that thing to just, right? It's like when you're fishing, you can feel the bite, and you, and then you're hooked, right? Man, he got me, and I haven't come off the line since. I do not understand I cannot reconcile within myself. And, and maybe you can, and that's fine. I'm not saying you're wrong. I cannot reconcile in myself this leadership culture, this culture that says when a leader gets better, everyone gets better. I can't reconcile that with this, with this teaching of Jesus where he tells his disciples, do not be called leader. I can't make those things fit together. I just can't do it. And in this culture that is all about building leaders, what's Jesus say? The Israelites have the same problem in 1 Samuel 8. 
right? They, they want a king so badly. Samuel, pray to God. We want a king. We want to look like the rest of these nations. We want this. And God says, all right, go back and tell them they can have their king, but tell them they just spit in my face because I was their king. And they wanted to do man's thing, man's way. They wanted man's king more than they wanted me to be their king. Y'all, are we in the same boat today? We want leaders. We want to build leaders, and we want, we want a leader up in front because then he has to make or she has to make all the decisions, and then I'm off the hook, and I don't have to show up. You know, we got a fellowship thing. The pastor's got to be at all of those things, but, you know, because he's the leader, but I don't have to come because, Right? Because that's what a leader gives us. Lack of accountability. It wasn't my fault. Church fell flat. It wasn't my fault. Now look, I understand. I personally celebrate Father's Day. If Elam or Jubilee or Promise or Gideon, Gideon can't say it yet, but if one of them were to look at me and say, Father, I wouldn't give them a spanking and say, No, you shall call no one on earth your father, right? I don't think that's the teaching here. Right? That joke took a little while to set in. Everybody got it now. Right? So that's not the teaching. I I hope it's not a sin to be called teacher because I I quite enjoy teaching you all on Sunday mornings. It's one of my favorite things in this life to do. But we've got to prioritize, right? We've got to prioritize who is really teaching us. Because listen, y'all, if you are coming here and this is the only scriptural teaching you're getting in the week, is what comes from Pastor Jeremy, you are missing out. You are missing out. Because the Holy Spirit is available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week to teach you. To say, is that knucklehead Jeremy teaching you the right things? Right? Go home and check. Right? Did anything Pastor Jeremy say, was any of it even biblical? Holy Spirit can tell you. Right? Check the spirits. Test the spirits. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, and he's available. He should be your number one teacher. God is your number one father, right? Not your father on this earth. I've told you the story about me and my kids, right? Juby calls me her second best dad. Good. I don't want to be her first best dad. I want everything I do to push her to her true father who's in heaven, the one who doesn't make mistakes. It does get a little painful sometimes when promises like, Dad, you make mistakes. Thank you, promise. But it's true. God doesn't make mistakes, and he loves my children far more than I ever could. But along with those, y'all, who is really leading you? Is it Pastor Jeremy? I hope not, because if that's the case, I haven't done a very good job of pointing you to Jesus. And I want to point you to Jesus. Who are you trusting to lead you? Right around the same time, I'm going to read you this passage from the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another book that I would highly, highly recommend. This is towards the very end of the book. It's from a passage called The Ministry of Authority where Bonhoeffer lays out what scriptural authority, what gospel authority looks like. And Bonhoeffer says this. When I read this, the first time I read this, it was right around this same time that I read that passage from Matthew. But, but after this, it, it was done. Like, I, I officially unraveled and said, God, you got me. Like, I see it clear as day, Lord. This is what Bonhoeffer says. Jesus made authority in the fellowship dependent upon brotherly service. Genuine spiritual authority is to be found only where the ministry of hearing, helping, bearing, and proclaiming is carried out. Every cult of personality that emphasizes the distinguished qualities, virtues, and talents of another person, even though these be of an altogether spiritual nature, is worldly and has no place in Christian community. Indeed, it is poison to the Christian community. 
The desire we so often hear expressed today for Episcopal figures, priestly men, authoritative personalities, springs frequent enough from a spiritually sick need for the admiration of men, for the establishment of visible human authority because the genuine authority of services appears to be so unimpressive. And then I'm going to skip ahead here. Bonhoeffer says, The church does not need brilliant personalities, but faithful servants of Jesus and the brethren. The church will place its confidence only in the simple servant of the word of Jesus Christ, because it knows then that it will be guided, not according to human wisdom and human conceit, but by the word of the good shepherd. Pastoral authority can be attained only by the servant of Jesus, who seeks no power of his own, who himself is a brother among brothers, submitted to the authority of the word. Who is leading you, Gospel House? I've told you this a lot recently. I love being your pastor. I love that God has called me to shepherd this flock whom he has entrusted to Jana and me. And we both, our whole family, loves you all so much. Last night, some of you were out there at Kevin and Stephanie Decks, and we did the pumpkin picking party and all that stuff. And as we were driving back, Jana and I were talking, and we were just marveling at how incredible it is that God has called this body together. You know, that, that, that we're, everybody's even here, that, that Kevin and Stephanie are here, and that because they're here, we were able to go out to their property and, and have this, you know, absolutely awesome time. And just every single individual is here, and that God has called you here for this moment. And that is unbelievable to me, unbelievable to us. But we love you too much to let you follow us when you could be following Jesus. Now, the hope is that you're doing both, right? <laughs> That's why Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And actually, the Greek there is better translated as imitate me as I imitate Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with following. So that's the goal. But when Jana and I started talking about planting a church or, or becoming a past, pastors of a church, we wanted to do things drastically different than what we had seen. We wanted to do what Bonhoeffer had talked about, where it's not a pastor in an ivory tower and everybody, oh, let's, you know, let's serve the pastor and let's, uh, that's not what we wanted. We wanted to link arms like brothers and sisters in Christ and run after Jesus together. And that's what we still want. Not a church following a leader, not a pastor who runs the show, but a group of brothers and sisters being obedient to the things that God's telling us to do. That's why for the next couple of weeks, I am going to take a vacation. Not really a vacation. <laughs> but I, I'm, I am going to be here, but not here. Because we're going to have some discussions that you all need to answer. That you all need to be a part of. You can thank Tim Davis for this. It's all his fault. But guys, I was having a conversation with Tim the other day, and he brought up a really good point. He said, I'm really curious if everybody who's here at the Gospel House, if they're here because we're a church, or if they're here because they see a calling and anointing on yours and Jana's life, and they want to support that, and they want to be a part of that. And y'all, if that's the case, if it's the second part of that, you like Pastor Jeremy's preaching, and he brings the word, and you, you see the anointing. If that's the case, I haven't done my job. I've made you dependent on a personality, and that's not what I want here. I've said this before, but in the event that I am gone, if I die or if I leave or whatever happens in that event, now listen, again, I stressed this last week, I am not going anywhere, all right? My plan is to be here until I die. My hope is that I'm right up here. I know it'll freak everybody out, but my hope is that I'm right up here preaching and then right in the middle of it. That's, to me, that'd be a great way to go, right? <laughs> I 
Oh, you all will be scarred for life, but I don't have to deal with it. You'll have to find some good pastoral counseling after that one. But, but for real, y'all, I, I'm not going anywhere. I want to be here. But I want to lead God's church with you. I don't want to lead you, right? I don't believe in leading people to Christ. I don't, I don't believe that. God's too powerful for me to have to lead people to Christ. The one who plants and the one who waters is nothing. It is God who causes the growth. So these next couple weeks are going to be super important. I'd encourage you, if you've got stuff, I'd encourage you to do everything you can to get out of stuff, right? To be here. Because we're going to start some conversations and we're going to have some discussions during our fellowship time and all of that stuff that's going to dictate the direction of the church. Because I will not be that pastor who tells you all where we're going. I want to link arms. I want to figure out God's unique calling and anointing on every single one of us. And I want us all to run after Jesus together. I believe with all of my heart that that is the church that we see in the book of Acts. I believe with all of my heart that is the church that God wants the gospel house to be. So we're going to make it happen. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.